guys, this is Jude. Hey, this is Jordan. Welcome back to the Curries and Honey Podcast. Thanks for joining us today for episode two, part one. So in our last episode, we talked about archetypes, which led us to literary criticism. And from the topic of literary criticism, we got onto the topic of poetry, which has strong elements of parallelism as a tool. Yeah, we're here still to give a little attention towards archetypes by paying attention to the nature of Solomon and styles of parallelism and imagery in the poetic book of Ecclesiastes. So this is a bit of a mechanical, functional translation that I made using Bible Hub and Strong's Concordance. So if, if you want to follow along with the interlinear, you can look at Bible Hub and it'll give you the side-by-side using the Hebrew and the English. That would help you to understand more of the context of what's going on here. Okay, so let's get it started. Chapter 1, verse 1. The words of the teacher Kohelet, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Hevel, hevel, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the inhabited land remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hastens to where it arose. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return to again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, Look, this is something new. It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are hevel, a chasing after the wind. Ruach. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this, too, is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. Yeah, so after reading that uh, chapter, is there anything that kind of stands out to you in particular? Yeah, there's there's this idea in verse 4 that Something, something, it's something along the lines of a generation passing as the earth abides in this eternal state or in this state of uh, le'olam, as it says in Hebrew. It's this idea that the land, the inhabited land, the, the aretz, um, is constantly occupied by the coming and going of humans. Um, and I, I think it's just strange how there's this contrast, um, but there's a space of occupancy as it stays, um, and, and this eternal coming and going. So that's kind of one idea I'm thinking about. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like, it's yeah. kind of interesting. It's kind of like there's this contrast. It's like man keeps passing, you know, yet man stays. 
in a way it's just a different perspective of the same thing you know yeah yeah it's like yeah. in his coming and going he stays but then it's like how does something stay if it's going so it's just kind of interesting yeah and then like another idea that i was thinking about is this word that comes up it's show eighth and it, it occurs when it's talking about the sun when it's panting and it's really cool because actually the word show eighth has the root word off which is nose so when you're panting you're like using your nose you're like <laughs> You know, and, and your your nostrils are inflamed, yeah. Um, which I think is pretty cool. But I think to tie that into a bigger idea, it's almost like the language of the poem there describes the sun as something that desires what it already has. And so in this sense, it's pursuing something which through its course it has already obtained. It sounds like a cool theme. How do you draw that conclusion? I was thinking about that because it talks about from the place that the sun rises there it departs and then it says something along the lines of from its going it longs for the place from which it was pulled from or like arose from which it arose so there's this idea that it's it's desiring the place of its origin of some sort so it's like what's going on there you know and i believe it's some sort of anthropomorphic idea that the sun is really kind of like humans but I don't know. What do, you, what do you think about, bro? Yeah, that's really cool. There's a circularity, you know. It, it kind of makes sense, you know. Like, we, we see it every day, you know. The sun rises in the east and it sets in the west. But here it's kind of characterized as something that somehow longs. Or it's like running. It's hastening. And it's running towards the, the place where it already started. It's kind of like maybe dumb. or at, <laughs> Yeah, you know? yeah. It's like, it's like you were there already, son. Just stay there. But I guess something that's hopeful and, and kind of interesting is that it ends up getting there anyways. And though it has to pass through darkness, though there is a period of darkness, you know, and where the sun is gone, somehow the sun, it does get to the place where it longs to be. It does get to the place where it arose initially, even though it has to go in a whole circle to get there, yeah. um, which is almost like the most inefficient route, you know. It's like, just turn around and go back. If it's a metaphor, you know, just... Yeah. Just go back, you know, but the sun, it can't just go to where it, it ought to be going. It Even though it longs to, it, it takes this whole path to get to the place where it longs to be, but it takes the most inefficient route to get there. Yeah. Uh, one thing I think about is like the work that the sun is doing is almost defeating. It reminds me of this, um, what the Communist Party used to make. Um, mm. It's gulag prisoners do. What they would do is it would make them... Uh, fill bags of sand or, or I believe they would fill bags of sand and then they were ordered to to carry the ba- sands of uh, the, the the sand to the other side of the prison and dump it and then from the place that they dumped it they would fill the bags back up and then take them back to the other side mm. and uh, my grandpa actually also talked about this too when he was um I believe when he was stationed near uh, White Sands for a little while that uh, during training or during during the prisoners I can't remember also that um, they would do, they would do that work in order to um, essentially break down the individual. It was the individual or the worker knew that it was purposeless, and in that sense, um, it it broke them down psychologically. And it kind of just reminded me of that right now, which I think was that's cool. Pretty interesting, yeah. Yeah, in fact, it's really cool that you bring that up because even when I look at the verse right before, you know, verse four, verse five is the one that talks about the sun. Verse four it says like generation passes away. Or it walks and generation goes, you know, but the earth remains forever. It's like there is like this walking in a circle too, almost like the humans are doing too. The human generations are going in the cycle. And literally the Hebrew word for like 
passes away is the he also the Hebrew word walks. So it's like there's this perpetual walking of the generations of humanity, you know. Um, each step is like a whole generation. Um, and there's like the cycle as well. Um, so that's interesting too, you know. Um, and I think it also pairs together with uh, some of the other verses too. And, and even how it talks about toil um, in verse like three, you know, it, it talks about like kind of like the, the meaninglessness, you know, or like the, the repetitive nature of a man's labor, you know. What, what profit really is it, you know? Um, what advantage is it, the word yitron, to Adam um, in all his labor in which he toils under the sun? You know, it's like this man, it's like he keeps working all day. It's almost like this this work, this repetitive work. Um, but it all it seems like it doesn't accomplish anything, you know. And as he'll go later on into, in, the, in Ecclesiastes, he'll talk about how sometimes it seems like a man's labor kind of amounts to nothing, mm -hmm. you know, or that a man's labor kind of um, is taken over by people who he has no connection to, you know, people after him. You know, I just think that's really interesting. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like a man walks, a man runs the race for the person who will take over after him, you know. So everything that he works for is, is given to someone else, you know. Yeah. Um, what, what were some of your um, initial thoughts that you were thinking about from the chapter? From the chapter? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so another one that I thought was interesting is uh, the wind, you know. Um, so similar to the sun, uh, the wind is also moving on its own circuit is, is one of the translations of what, it, uh, of what it says there. You know, it says the wind... Um, or it said, walks to the south and turns to the north, turning and turning, walking is the wind. And um, on its circuit, on its turning, returns the wind, you know, or the ruach, you know. Um, so it's like all of nature is kind of doing this like, cyclical nature too. Mm -hmm. You know, there's this, um, for some reason, you know, like, everything in the whole world is just moving in circles and it's really interesting um and the phrase um i guess we'll go into it in a little bit you know but the the phrase chasing after the wind it makes me mm -hmm. think of this scripture too yeah you know if we're chasing after the wind and the and the wind is moving in circles that would mean that we would be moving in circles too yeah you know even though the wind surrounds us and you know and fills up the whole atmosphere for some reason we're chasing after it even though it's everywhere yeah, you know, but there's this also the cyclical nature of chasing after nature, which is itself cyclical. So and like, yeah, because of that, we are yeah moved into a cyclical. Kind of remind me of this movement. idea of like if you chase something that's everywhere, in a sense, you kind of go nowhere or something like that. I don't know why I just kind of thought of that, but yeah, 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 that's interesting. Yeah, also too like the idea that the wind goes north, the wind goes south. And so there's, there's, um, there's like the seasonal wind that comes and, and the, the, you know, the wind has its, its circuit on the earth literally through seasons yeah. and wind, wind patterns. And there's this sort of circularity of coming and going with that. But yeah, I don't know. I, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I agree. It's interesting. Um, whenever it's talking about the wind, you know, how it's, how it's going to the south and it's also turning to the north. 
When it says it's going to the south, it's actually the Hebrew word for walk. It's the word halak. Um, and that's a word that, that's used like a whole, a whole bunch, you know, in this first part of Ecclesiastes. And when it's using the word turning and returning, you know, um, it's using the word shuv, um, which also means repent, you know, funny enough. Um, so that's really interesting because the next scripture is kind of colored by that um, usage, you know. It says, all the rivers go to the sea, and yet the sea is not full. To the place from which the rivers come, there they go and return. You know, so even the first part of the phrase, all the rivers walk to the sea, you know. The word go is also the word walk, you know. And the word come is also the word walk, you know. So this phrase, this phrase is really weird, you know, when you, when you look at it through that. It, it kind of personifies rivers in a way as, as kind of moving and walking back and forth. Um, and through, like, this river is, like... Um, this this river is going to the sea and then the sea um the um, is is spitting out more rivers you know to the place where the rivers came from in the first place you know um it says and and it also says the rivers return you know to the to the place where they where they went from in the first place you know um so there's like in the, in the Hebrew mind there's like this circular movement of of water you know to, just in its in its normal motion there's a circular movement of water water flows from rivers to seas but also from seas to rivers um and from it it says the sea is not full so this implies something new before it was talking about how things were just kind of repeating and and turning you know kind of in a cyclical nature and i think this scripture adds a new idea that through this repetitive motion, there is this lack of fulfillment. Or perhaps in this repetitive motion, um, it implies a lack of fulfillment, you know. It says the sea is not full. The word is male. Um, and I think that's really interesting because, um, again, if we jump even right over to the next scripture, uh, verse 8, it says, All things are tiresome. Man cannot put it to words. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. I think this is really cool. To me, I think this is just super cool. Because it's, it's talking about man. It's talking about how his eye is not satisfied and his ear is not filled. And each of them with their respective, you know, sense. You know, the eye is not satisfied with seeing. And the word satisfied, when it, it's talking about the eye, is the word saba. And we'll see this used even throughout the whole book of Ecclesiastes. And we'll see the word filled, male, which is talking about the ear, also used throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. So I think this is really interesting because I think this initiates the theme that man is actually even just like nature itself. Within his own actions, hearing and seeing, man is not filled in the same way that the sea is not filled by what you would imply, you know, from the last scripture, this repetitive nature. You'll see this theme, the repetitive nature of man and what he does. It results in a lack of fulfillment for man. And, and in trying to see things, you know, and in trying to consistently 
feast one's eyes, another phrase used later in the book, a man ends up being unfulfilled. And I just think this is really interesting. So in my mind, I actually see verse 8 as a bit of a, a part of the key to the rest of the book of Ecclesiastes. And to me, I think this is solidified by the next verse, which says, What has been is what will be, and what is done is what will be done. And there is nothing at all new under the sun. So I think this phrase is like really, really cool. I think a lot of times we interpret this phrase to mean that like literally nothing new is possible of happening ever. Everything is always just some kind of repetition of something else. With that idea, if, if you just stop at that idea, it builds off of the themes talked about earlier about the rep repetitive nature of literally everything. But I think one of the things that this verse may be communicating is that, hey, pay close attention. This is a key, or even the whole chapter one of Ecclesiastes may be a key to the rest of the book of Ecclesiastes. It says, what has been, meaning everything that has been said prior, is what will be. So what you have read here is kind of like an abstract. And the rest of the book of Ecclesiastes is what will be. And you will see that, you know, you'll even see these words carried throughout the rest of the book of Ecclesiastes, but not in many other books of the Bible. So you, you will see that what has been is what will be in terms of both the themes and the word usage throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. So not everything should necessarily be looked at individually without the context of chapter 1, because I think chapter 1 gives meaning in a lot of ways to the rest of the book. So when we hear this phrase, there is nothing at all new under the sun, I think this is just communicating the same thing. When you hear the phrase, under the sun, it's telling you, hey, this isn't new. This is actually something that was talked about before. Um, it's saying the same thing. So when you hear the phrase, under the sun, repeated over and over again through the book of Ecclesiastes, I think this phrase might be telling you, hey, pay close attention, this isn't new, this is something we talked about before. Not necessarily that nothing is ever new, but nothing is new under the sun in, in the small universe of Ecclesiastes. Yeah, and there's also this idea on time, looking at some of the Hebrew words that occur in verse 11. Um, so there's this, there, um, taking some ideas from Jeff A. Benner, he talks about how future the way that we think about time and the way that the hebrews thought about time is sort of backwards how um the future the future is in a sense behind you and the past is in front of you because you can observe um the past which is um in your ability to perceive things um as they are literally before you so the past is in a sense before you but the future is behind you because you can't perceive it it's behind your head um and that, that's coming from the words reshit, uh, which means former, and then acharav, which means back. Not literally acharav, but there's a variant of achar, which means back. And then there's there's also this phrase that occurs a lot. It's ura'uthuach, and it means... So, so typically, the understanding is like it's it's grasping for wind. Like, you're literally using your hands... Um, or you're you're chasing the wind, and in chasing the wind, you gain nothing because 
just a bunch of air molecules. It's, it's in a sense synonymous with the imagery used for hevel, vapor. It, it obtains vapor, it obtains hevel. But also looking at the word um, ureut, it's, uh, or reut, it comes from the word ra'a, which is to pasture. Um, it's, it's interesting, it, it shares um, some in- imagery with the word roe. Um, a roe is, is a shepherd, um, but the verb ra'a means like to graze or to pasture. So it's like when something is in the state of going about the fields that shares some uh, phonological similarity with, with a shepherd. Yeah. Which is just a cool um, Hebraic kind of thing going on there. So the word um, reut comes from the word to aim, is, is translated as, as longing or chasing, but also at the same time it means aiming, which I think just kind of describes a little different imagery. But Yeah. Yeah, I think that whole phrase is pretty interesting too. To be longing for the ruach, right, to be chasing after the wind, also means to be like longing for the wind or longing for the spirit because the word ruach also means spirit and people talk about this idea in their churches the idea that people go and they do all these things in their life and they don't necessarily know why they're doing them but in a lot of ways they're really seeking after God whether they know it or not sometimes they can seek God even in the worst of places and in the worst of ways because there is this emptiness or there is this depth or there's this missing puzzle piece in every person's heart that they need to fill with something and I think this phrase might be communicating that same idea that in all of these things that we do we're chasing after the spirit actually because we really want the spirit we long for it so people in whether it's good or bad they chase for God they chase after God and his spirit and everything and we end up following that circular motion of the spirit which is everywhere but in a way, we could also just receive it, I think, if we just stood in the place we are and took a breath. You know, we can receive God wherever we are. We don't have to run all around to receive mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even that idea that like sort of God or this this aspect of God is everywhere in nature reminds me of this idea by Thomas Aquinas. He, he proposed his five ways and in his fifth way, he talks about beauty being synonymous with order and how there's there's a gradience within nature how the most beautiful thing is in itself god and then following between that spectrum of order the least ordered thing um is like entropy chaos you could say ra or sin right destruction yeah so it kind of reminds me of this idea that as as human beings sort of unconsciously chase beauty chase things which in themselves imitate aspects of God's nature, imitate his order, his aesthetics, his beauty, they are chasing an imitation of God. And so mm. we, we are constantly surrounded by imitations, but the challenge is, the, the challenge that Kohelet is facing is not allowing the imitations or not allowing the gifts in themselves to be gods. Wow. Which I think is pretty interesting, but yeah. That's a great way of communicating it. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So I've been studying some of the the Aztec culture and uh, Nahuatl, the the Nahuatl uh, language. Yeah. And anyways, little backstory. I recently got hired at a library and and I've been like going through some of the shelves and it's really cool. And I checked out this book on the psychology or just like the mind of the Nahuatl, right? 
And so this I, this theme of like circularity and like transience and like truth came up in this book. So this poet asked the question, does man have truth? And then immediately after stating that, he says something along the lines of, is anything stable and lasting? So I want to I go through some of the words because it's, it's really fascinating. So the word for truth in Nahuatl is nalti listli, uh, and it's derived from the same radical as root, which is tlanalwatl, which in turn comes from nawalyotl, uh, which is a base or foundation. So the idea that uh, the interpreter of, of the, the poem talks about is that man is searching for truth, but the word for truth connotates more of a sense of not something that is abstractly existing in this static state, but more of something that is eternal in its nature. And so the poet is asking, does humanity have anything that is eternally lasting, eternally stable? Um, similar, even similar to the idea of the Hebrew word emunah, which is something that is supported whether argument in, in terms of an argument or shares imagery with um, tent making. I think one of the words there is used for in the process of tent making to just like support the tent, sort of like a vav or something. It's also like the word for truth, right? Yeah, I mean, and it's it's the word for truth. And faithfulness. Uh, faithfulness, something that is solid, something that is, um, it's tried and true. So it's kind of cool. The poet asks, does humanity have anything that is eternal? And then almost in a sense of like um, synonymous parallelism or, or emphatic parallelism, he states in the next clause, is anything stable and lasting? So truth is 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 in its essence something that is more so the ability to last, not Hevel, mm. and stable, mm. it's a foundation. So I know, yeah, I, th I, th I think that's really cool. I think yeah. that's really cool. That's, su that's super cool. And that's sort of what Kohelet is searching for. He's, he's like, what is in its essence not Hevel? And I think it goes back to the idea of Thomas Aquinas' first way, his first way, which is like, that which cannot not be is God, because by his very nature, he has to be looking at it through Aquinas's lens in that God is this abstract entity, sort of like numbers that by their very nature must be. Um, and so in this sense, God is not contingent. God is the unmoved mover and he is, he is that stable thing. He's that rock in a sense, that, that foundation that mm. humanity is sort of looking for. But I don't know, man, I, I think that's really cool, bro. I think that's really cool. Yeah. That's some Aztec philosophy right there. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, he's looking for something eternal, right? Something that is not shifting like all the hevel. Shifting, yeah. Yeah. Transient, fleeting. Yeah. Leaving, you know, yeah. It's interesting because like, it's almost like humans kind of, even though they do die all the time, <laughs> you know, <laughs> even with that phrase, generation comes and goes, the inhabited land remains forever. It's like man's eternal even though he dies. He's eternal through life and death, you know. Yeah. Even in a weird way, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. At least the imagery proposed in Ecclesiastes, you know, it's yeah. strange. It's pretty, yeah, pretty strange, but interesting too, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. so here in part one, we looked at these themes within the context of chapter one. And in part two, we want to explore how some of them developed throughout the rest of the book, as well as in other parts of the Bible. Within many of them relating in interesting ways and others seeming somewhat new or different than the first time we visited them in chapter one. The music for our podcast is by Jordan Green at Magnify Music. You can find him at magnifymusic.org or check out his Spotify under Jordan Daniel Green. Hey guys, thanks for joining us this week. 
If you have any cool thoughts or questions, please send them our way. We'd love to hear from you. See y'all in the next episode. Shalom. Shalom.